Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. On Friday night, our own Dan McLaughlin announced on FS Midwest the newest entrance into the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame. And that group includes Bill White, first baseman from the early 60s, and mid-80s left-hander John Tudor, the man with the highest winning percentage in Cardinal history among starting pitchers, and our current guest on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, the Cardinals' second baseman during the 80s, Tom Hur, who's with us now with Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN. And Tommy, it's great to have have you with us. Thanks for taking some time today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Tom, what was it like for you to get the call and understand the honor that you had going into the Cardinals Hall of Fame? Well, it was uh, it was crazy. You know, the uh, the voting started seemed like <laughs> forever ago, you know, and uh, and then and then they extended the voting. So, you know, we were we were kind of left in limbo there for a few weeks. And then I got a, uh, I, I kept getting these calls from, uh, you know, would come up on my cell phone, DeWitt financial or something like that. And, and I kept, I kept, uh, like just deleting the calls because I thought it was uh, spam. So then I finally got a text from uh, someone in the Cardinal office and they said, Hey, stupid, you know, when you see, <laughs> And when you see DeWitt calling, pick it up, you know. So we we connected, uh, talked with Bill, and he he informed me that I got elected in. So I, I felt really dumb, but uh, I, I said, "Hey, I'm sorry. I just didn't recognize that number. I didn't pick it up." <laughs> That's awesome. And how did you react once once he told you that you had made the Cardinal Hall of Fame? Well, I mean, there's so there, there's just a flood of emotions that you feel. Um, and I'm still feeling them, you know, it, it's, uh, first of all, the, the seven guys that were nominated were, were, I mean, all phenomenal. You know, you're talking about two hall of famers. You're talking about, uh, two guys that, that played in the nineties uh, for, for great winning teams and had great contributions. And, uh, of course, Keith was on there who had a, you know, just a fabulous start to his career in St. Louis and, uh, and John and I, you know, I mean, obviously I was most familiar with, uh, with Keith and John because I played with those two guys. And, um, you know, I, I knew that being on the ballot with, with, with that caliber of, of, uh, players, it was going to be tough for me to get voted in. Uh, but it was, it was also an honor just to be on the ballot and, um, whether I got in or not, it certainly wasn't going to, uh, you know, dampened my enthusiasm for uh, being a Cardinal for all those years and, and experiencing the uh, the great era of the 80s. 
but you know, you, you know, specifically to your question, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I was just kind of overwhelmed that I got voted in. You know, I, I knew uh, every time I go back to St. Louis, I feel the love. You know, I, the, the, those those teams of, of Whitey in the eighties, you know, were, were treated like royalty when we go out there. And, and I, and I knew there was a great connection and I felt like, you know, my chances of, of being elected in lied in, in that, uh, that great connection we had with the fans of that era. And, uh, you know, they, they came through for me <laughs> and John. <laughs> Tom, when Randy and I were going over the ballot last week, we were saying, you know, exactly what you said. You really could look at any one of these players and say that they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And when you look at the Cardinals organization as a whole, as a whole, to think that generationally they have had excellence and championships and produced all of these amazing players, it has to be special for you to think that you're such a big part of the Cardinals' history and you know, part of the legacy of greatness in the Cardinals organization. Well, it does. You know, it, it just, uh, you know, I, I can remember when I was a kid uh, back in the late 60s, I, I would have been about uh, 12 or 13 year old years old. And when the Cardinals were in the World Series in 67 and 68, you know, back then, you know, they played the games during the day, usually. And, and uh, I would listen on the radio. And, uh, you know, so I kind of got plugged into the Cardinals at a young age, and and then uh, you know I graduated from high school in the, in '74, and and I got a chance to uh, to sign with the Cardinals, and um, you know I was really clueless. You know, I started out my career really not knowing what I was getting into, but um, you know it. I I got great. Uh, great support through the organization. There were some really, really good uh, instruction. You know, guys like George Kissel and Hub Kittle and Buzzy Keller, Hallinier. You know, just uh, kind of mentored me through through that uh, obstacle course, which is minor league baseball. And um, and then you know, Whitey. You know, Whitey was probably the the biggest. The factor in my career, you know, he saw something in a young player. You know, I kind of fit his his uh, style of play. He liked guys that could run. Uh, he liked guys that could, you know, put the ball in play and not strike out a lot. And, and uh, you know, he recognized that I had some of those qualities and gave me a chance to play in the early uh, '80s. And uh, you know, and then I blossomed into. Uh, probably a a far better player than anyone even thought, but, um, you know, it was just, it was a great atmosphere to be in. You know, we had, there was a lot of great players, uh, you know, during those, uh, those great, that great run we had in the eighties, obviously, you know, you had Ozzy and you had, you know, Willie McGee and, and Jack Clark and Keith and Bruce Suter and Terry Pendleton. And I mean, the list just goes on and on. And, um, it was just such a, a fun time to be in St. Louis, and you know the the city was electric during those those years, and we had great rivalries with the Mets, and uh, it just seemed like year after year it was uh, one highlight after another, and uh, you know to be a part of that was special, and now this this uh, Hall of Fame just kind of culminates everything, and 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 kind of validates my my career, you know the way I played, I, I wasn't. Uh, 
I wasn't a superstar type player, but I was a, you know, I was a dependable and grinder and I was a winner. You know, that's, I think that's what the fans appreciated that I was there and, uh, and during a time when we won and, you know, winning kind of supersedes everything. Tom Hur, new Cardinal Hall of Famer with us here on 101 ESPN. And Tom, two things that Whitey said about you struck me. Number one, he said that you were the glue to that infield in the mid-80s, that you were the guy that kind of got everybody straightened out and positioned. The other thing he said that I thought was really interesting, he said, when we were in crunch time, August, September, October, I never had Tom Hur make a mental mistake when we were playing a big game. What was it about you that allowed you to dial in like that? mentally uh you know who knows i mean i i, I always uh, i always liked the big moments uh of course you know I, I was hitting third in in the lineup most of the time so you know with with vince and willie getting on base in front of me you know there was there was a lot of opportunities and um you know it seemed like you know that that was in the era when you 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 couldn't just get in as a wild card. You had to win your division to get in, and uh, so it, no matter who we were playing, they were big games. And um, you know, we we had a group that that uh, really really cared. You know, we cared for each other. We cared about you know winning and losing. And uh, you know, when you feel that uh, when you have that sense of responsibility to each other, you know, I, I think it it kind of uh, amps up your uh your adrenaline for you know you, you get in the late months of the year everybody's tired and you know it's hot out there and uh, but they're little things that kind of keep you going and and i think you know i think collectively we we just had that uh that feel for each other that we didn't want to let anybody down you know Tom, you're a, a thinking man's ball player, and you understand the game, and you watch the game with a critical eye. And I, I always tell people that in my viewing time from 1970 on, the best defensive infield I've ever seen is your 1982 infield. And I think you can start with the best defensive first baseman and the best defensive shortstop of all time. You've watched a lot of infields during your career and since. Uh, what do you think of that assessment that you guys were as good as or better than anybody in 82? Well, you know, I think you can certainly make a case for it. Um, however, I think that, uh, you know, 82 was, was kind of early. You know, it was kind of maybe the midpoint of Keith's career. So he was an established great first baseman. And but really, with uh, Obi and Ozzy and myself, that that was still kind of early in our careers. And uh, you know, I know, speaking for myself, I know I got better after that. You know, I wasn't as as good a second baseman in '82 as I became later on. And I think Ozzy would probably say the same thing uh, about his his play. And uh, you know, I can't speak for Obi, but you know. I, uh, we were young, you know, we were younger then than we were like in 85 or, or later on. But, you know, as you, as you gain experience, uh, you know, you just become better. You, your, your positioning is better. You learn the hitters more, you understand, uh, your pitching, how, you know, how they're trying to pitch guys. So you can position yourselves accordingly. You can anticipate where the ball is going to be hit better, the more experience you have. So, you know, I, I think a case can be made for that infield, but I, I know personally, I feel like uh, 
that I got better as I got a little bit older. Tom, one of the things that Randy and I were discussing uh, in the commercial break before you joined us is we were looking up and down the rosters of some of the teams you played with, and it's amazing how many of your former teammates, and yourself included, have gone on to be a manager or gone into coaching in some way, shape, or form. What do you think it is about that group and the different players that you played with that has gone on to teach the game of baseball in some way? Well, I think it speaks to, uh, you know, couple different things you know i think there's uh there was a collective love for the game you know um and, and the way we played the game we we were uh you know everyone called us the running redbirds but you know we were uh we were a cerebral group and and that started with whitey you know whitey was uh, i think uh one of the top five tactical manag- managers of all time so just being there every day and seeing how he ran the show and how he did things, uh, you know, it, it couldn't help but rub off on you. Uh, but, you know, we did it. We had a lot of guys. I know when I came up, there were a lot of good veteran uh, guys that, that taught me things, guys like uh, Gene Tennis and, and Jim Cott. Um, and, you know, Bruce uh, Bruce Suter was a very knowledgeable baseball guy. And the um, Forshee was the same way. So, I mean, there Lou Brock, uh, Ted Simmons. I mean, I, I could... I could go on and on with with guys that were really really great baseball thinkers and so it's kind of a generational thing it gets passed down to the younger players and then those players in turn pass it on and um i I think that's that's probably the reason why a lot of them you know became teachers and, and coaches or managers themselves we had so much fun watching your teams play, Tom, especially the 85 team that went to the World Series and had 314 stolen bases. We had so much fun, as I meant, as I said, watching it. How much fun was it to play on that team? Well, it was, you know, the dynamic of, of speed that we had on that team was just, uh, I, don't, I don't know that it's ever been matched or ever will be. I mean, there, there were other teams that had some great base stealers on them, but there were, there was no team that, that had it up and down the lineup like we did. And, um, you know, it was such an intimidating thing for, uh, for the opposing teams. You know, we pitchers would, uh, you know, try to slide step. They'd try pitching out. I mean, they, they were trying all kinds of stuff. So, you know, we, we had a, we had a unique ability to get, teams out of their comfort zone to try to defend us. And then on the other side of the coin, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the speed that we had really helped us defensively as well, because, uh, you know, the old Bush stadium, the outfield was massive and, and a AstroTurf surface. Uh, so it was very fast surface. So you, you needed that kind of range and speed to, uh, to defend. And, uh, you know, we never had a team with uh, with a pitching staff that struck out a lot of guys, so we, we needed to be good defensively. So, it, you know, it helped us both ways. Well, it was great to have you here in St. Louis for that decade, and it'll be great to have you here in St. Louis for eternity as a member of the Cardinal Hall of Fame. Tom, congratulations. We're so thrilled for you, and we can't wait to see you when you get inducted. Thank you. Whenever that is, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. It'll be a great uh, it'll be a great experience for John and I, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. You know, I I I, I 
called him and texted him after this happened. And, you know, we were good buddies on those 80s teams. In fact, we uh, we played a lot of cards together on the flights. And uh, John's a good card player, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, you know, we're, lo- we're looking forward to that ceremony and the red jackets and all that. But, uh, you know, whenever it happens, we'll, we'll be uh, having a lot of fun that day. All right. Tommy, take care. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. See you later. That is... Former Cardinal Tom Herr and now a member of the Cardinal Hall of Fame. And Michelle, to your question, it's amazing to look at the starting eight. Coleman still coaching at the minor league level. I think he's in the Giants organization now. Willie McGee with the Cardinals. Andy Van Slyke coached with the Tigers and the the Mariners. Terry Pendleton was a coach with Atlanta for a long time. Ozzie obviously works in spring training with the Cardinals. Tommy Herr managed at the minor league level. Jack Clark was a hitting coach. For the Dodgers, also a manager at the minor league level. Tom Nieto was a Cardinal minor league manager forever. Bob Forsh, a minor league pitching coach uh, before he passed away. Danny Cox, John Tudor, both uh, coaching at the minor league level. It's amazing how many guys. That's half the roster right there that wound up coaching at some level, and there were more, but that's just a a snippet of them. It really is remarkable, but like Tom said, you know, they had that love of the game, and they they wanted to continue on. And And the best teachers. And the best teachers, exactly. Having Whitey tell you what's going on and why Mm -hmm. makes you a smarter baseball person. Absolutely. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. You're killing me, Smalls. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm having a fun morning. It feels like a Monday, but it's not, so that's a bonus day. Because Friday is going to feel like Thursday. Yes. And we basically, even though we're here talking, we basically take Friday off anyway. So it's going to be like another three-day weekend for us. Randy, you're not supposed to tell people that. (laughs) By the way, I have a bone to pick with you. Okay. You're so sweet. You brought in Entenmann's Donuts because I mentioned that I love me's a crumby Entenmann's Donuts. We had talked about how I'd never had a chocolate Entenmann's Donuts. So you being the nice guy you are, you're over at Schnooks. Shout out Schnooks. And you bring an entire crate of them. I don't even know what you call it carton of Entenmann's Donuts and then you leave me to my own devices on a three day weekend with an entire thing of Entenmann's Donuts and yes they were finished (laughs) and I blame you I blame you Randy well here's the thing uh you're stuck in your house you aren't able to move around and it's you know how like little kids get on a sugar high to move them around I they're supposed to help you like get your mind right and move around and be all jacked up. You know, uh, I would say it got my mind right. I enjoyed it. Uh, the moving around part, not so much. <laughs> Phase two of that didn't exactly kick in. A lot of TV time this weekend. Are you to the stage of this where you're just over TV? Because I totally, am. Yeah. I am. I. I. There's nothing yep. that I want to watch. People are like, you should check out this show, this show. I'm like, I do not want to watch TV ever again. Unless it's live sports or something that I have to do for work. I'm so over the yeah. television. Joan thinks I'm a mess because of the coronavirus because I always have to be doing something. <laughs> She's, you know, so I got to go get, get gas in my car. And, you know, I got to go ride my bike. I got to go play golf. I got to hit golf balls. I got to do something because I just hate sitting around. We don't know what to do with ourselves no. without sports. It's so weird. And now that it's nice outside, I just, 
I've run out of projects to do. I've run out of things that I want to watch on TV. I don't want to Zoom with my friends literally ever again. Uh, you know, they're like, should we do another one? I'm like, no, I, I don't want to do it. After like five minutes of this, I'm like, we've done this already. You know, I'm over it. I'm just over everything. So sports, if you're listening, the sports gods, please come back. Please. please for the love of all things. You know what, Randy? I would even take watching those terrible old Rams teams, those 15 and 65 Rams teams at this stage of the game. They were pretty bad. They were. I I would take it, too. And speaking of those bad Rams teams, you know, there were some positives that came out of that. Mostly our love for some of the players, including Chris Long, who I think is a a St. Louis guy. Even though he's not from here, he is one of our own. And he loves St. Louis, and we love him. And he was on, I know, Randy, you're a huge Paige Spernack guy, right? Huge fan. Huge. Me and like two and a half million other guys that are on Instagram with her. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, she has a podcast called Playing a Round. Clever. Clever for Mm -hmm. a golfer. But Chris Long was a guest during uh, the match on her podcast and he was asked a very important question. As far as fans go, I mean, talk about St. Louis, Boston, and Philly. Who do you go with? So so they all have a different special place in my heart. And this isn't me being political. This is just me being real because I have a hard time picking my favorite anything. But I would say St. Louis because they were so loyal, we would go one and fifteen and two and fourteen like perpetually because we had bad ownership and a bad team. And these folks would just show up and show up, and they got their team stolen from them. And like my foundation is important to me. That started in St. Louis. They gave us the lift, the momentum to get things done off the field that I've been able to get done. I love them even more, and I love the fact that he's willing to to say, "Hey, we had bad ownership, we had bad teams, and we did. We got our team stolen away from us through no fault of our own." Everything he said there, if you're a St. Louis sports fan, he's checking every box, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's putting St. Louis sports fans, St. Louis football fans up against Patriots fans and Philadelphia Eagles fans. Two cities in which, yes, he had a shorter tenure than here in St. Louis, but he won championships in those teams, including the Eagles. He was part of the team that brought the Eagles a championship. And for him to acknowledge the fact that even though the Rams sucked and they had bad ownership and inevitably got the team stolen, that the fans did show up and that the fans were loyal because that's a narrative that that bad ownership that he referenced tried to spin out there that fans didn't show up. For a guy who had to be there every week on the field and endure those bad teams, for him to acknowledge the fans, I thought was awesome. That's pretty cool. And by the way, later in the interview, he did say that Philadelphia is his football home now because the Rams left here. He said... I have nothing to do with the Rams. That's not an organization that I have any connection with whatsoever. I don't know anybody there. It's in a city that I don't know. He said if if they were in St. Louis, it would be different, but they aren't. And so that's why his football home now is Philadelphia. He said, if I want to go to a big game, I'm going to Philly. And Chris Long is obviously a media star now. He has his green light podcast, Chalk Media, his broadcast entity. You know, you've seen him do various uh, things in the sports media world. But I think if you've listened to him talk, he talked about the Rams leaving St. Louis or being ripped from St. Louis affected him too. Because I think in some world, he thought that's a place that I'll always go back to and an organization that I'll always have ties to. And that's amazing that he would even think that. given the fact that they were terrible for so long and he generally did not have success here. But I think about guys like James Laurinaitis and Chris Long and Steven Jackson, guys that spent so much of their years here, even though they weren't successful, that are kind of nomadic in a way now. They are, but this goes back to what we were talking about last week when we were talking about the guys versus the laundry. Mm -hmm. And granted, we don't have the team and the, the team, we hate it now. But Chris Long was one of those guys... 
I rooted for Chris Long and the Patriots. Oh, me too. Big and, time. And uh, to get us to root for the Patriots is a pretty big thing. So that's because of the guy. Yeah. When you think about a guy like Chris Long, number two overall draft pick, he was drafted in 2008. He is a guy that people looked at as one of the guys that was supposed to turn the tide. He was supposed to be a... a to steal from Spags, one of the pillars of the foundation yep. to build something great here in St. Louis, version 2.0, right? And when that didn't happen, guys like he and James Laronitis, they were the face of futility. They were they were the guys who had to face the media and the fans every week and say, yeah, we know it sucks. We are working hard and we're going to turn it around. And they were so sincere in their efforts. But unfortunately, factors above them, above their pay grade, were working against them trying to turn the tide. And I think people in St. Louis always respect that. We respect that he had to endure that the way that we did, and we respect the fact that he never made excuses and always came out and tried his best. And then I took up all the time talking about Chris Long. You're killing me, Small. Okay, one more thing, Randy. The Washington Nationals debuted their World Series rings, and they are very schnazzy. They have that cursive W logo on them, which, yeah. my God, I mean, I just don't know why they haven't revamped that at some point. It's you show that at Walgreens and you get free prescriptions. <laughs> Do you? Is that what you get? Yeah. Uh, you should at least get a discount. Wal- Walgreens won the World Series. They did. So shout out to them. Congratulations. But that cursive Walgreens W logo features 30 rubies, which represents the 30 runs that Washington scored in its four World Series games, uh, the victories over the Astros. There's all sorts of different meanings behind it. There was two that, uh, one that I didn't necessarily understand and one that I thought was cool. I love that they had the symbol of the of the shark holding the, the trophy, mm-hmm. a nod to baby shark. But I didn't really understand this one, Randy. So in addition to the 108 diamonds featured on the ring, those symbolize the team's 105 regular season and postseason wins, plus one for the World Series championships, and two more in a nod to the franchise's history as the Expos and the Nationals. I don't know why you need to give a nod to your your former heritage in Montreal on your current World Series ring representing the Washington Nationals. Yeah, I don't think you have to do that. Yeah, I didn't really get that one. And there really, I don't believe, is much of an organizational, if any, organizational connection between Montreal and the current Washington Nationals. I guess... I don't know. Maybe you have people from Montreal that still come and watch. I, that makes no sense to me. I don't get that. I, I was thinking 108 because of 108 stitches in a baseball. Oh, there you go. I would have just said that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can really spin it whichever way you want. It's cool how they're making rings now with the homage, for example, to Baby Shark and like the Blues did with Gloria. Mm-hmm. I, I like the way teams are figuring that stuff out. Good stuff. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That is your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to talk to Danny Mack. He's got scoops with Danny Mack coming up at 10, but our weekly visit with Danny is next on 101 ESPN. Be the first to know everything about your St. Louis Cardinals. It's nonstop cards talk. The Danny Mack Report. Monday mornings with Carriker and Smallman. Wednesdays with Rivers and BK. And Fridays on your drive home with the fast lane. More cards talk more often. The Danny Mack Report. Powered by Goodwill. Exclusively on 101 ESPN. Sports talk for St. Louis. Get your breakfast raw every morning. It's Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. How about that? Get your breakfast raw. I guess if you're having cereal with milk, that would be kind of like a raw breakfast. Or if you're having like an orange or a banana for breakfast, I guess that's not too bad. What about overnight oats? You know, oatmeal that's not cooked. 
but instead refrigerated. Could that be considered raw? Yes, it could. Is that good? It's all right. I've never had it. I haven't either. Gets the job done. Okay. Gets the job done. (laughs) But that's really living living it up. Nutritious. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) It's It's not, you know, chocolate chip pancakes with some syrup and some butter. I mean, it's overnight oats. It's exactly what it sounds like. I don't tell you, I I'm trying to think of a raw. I guess sushi's raw, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I I like sushi. So I'd be happy. I don't think I want to eat it at seven thirty in the morning. But hey, like you said, it gets the job done. You so. know, I was in uh, over the holidays. <laughs> I was uh, in Asia. I went to Hong Kong and Thailand, and they have noodles for breakfast over there. Do they really? Oh yeah. So I mean, they're cooked. But what do you think of the trip? Was it fun? It was amazing. I had a, I had a great time. Thailand is specifically very beautiful. Love the culture. Love the food. Um, loved it. I am not built to be on a plane that long. The, I'm not either. The sleep disruption for me when I got there was severe. When I came back, it took me so long to get normalized again. Um, I don't know how people travel like that regularly for work. It's amazing to me that people are able to do that. I can sleep on planes. Me too. I, I've got no problem sleeping on planes. Yeah, and for people that don't, I would assume that that's just got to be miserable. I have a friend of mine that travels overseas like that mm-hmm. to China and in various places, and they do business there. And um, it takes him, mm, I'd say, five days to get right. Wow. You know, when he comes back, it, it, you know, he's because it, it's the opposite. So he's he's trying to he's got kids too, so they get up early, and for him he's exhausted. That's hard. So hard. The baseball travel is um, not easy at times. Oh, now, I'm sure the accommodations are incredible. But like talking with Matt Carpenter last week on the show, he said, I'll never complain again about <laughs> a, a 3 a.m., 4 a.m. flight. I mean, because that's you know you think about how baseball and it really has changed even when I'm. Uh, started doing the games most of the time not all but most of the time your getaway days were day games so you're still getting into a city at a reasonable time you know sometimes especially in the central time zone you'd you'd get in and you could go have dinner somewhere or go enjoy the city a little bit um now because tv dictates it all we're playing night games i mean last year for example we're playing uh, watching the game seven of the blues finishing up in miami and then traveling all night to New York and getting in at four in the morning. I mean, you do that all the time, and people don't realize that. I mean, I know they're they're the pampered pro athletes, and they get this, that, and the other, and they're staying at a Ritz-Carlton. I get it. I mean, it's first-class accommodations. It's not like normal travel, but it's still your your. You're a human being. Your body needs to adjust no matter how you're traveling, and it's it's not easy. I give those guys a lot of credit to, to get through a full season. Well, and it's one thing, because we talk all the time, and I know how, just as a broadcaster, it affects you, but then to think about getting out and performing an athletic activity oh, for five or six hours every day, especially you get in, like you say, at four in the morning, you're back at the ballpark at one, two in the afternoon, and then performing an athletic activity until 10 or 11 at night, that's going to take a lot out of you. I pound coffee. I really do. I mean, I'm drinking coffee at nine o'clock at night. Most nights I'm I'm pouring a cup of coffee during the game at nine, nine thirty at night. Now I have little kids, so somewhat little, they're sleeping in now a little bit more, but for a long time, I'd get up with them. So, you, you know, you're up at six thirty, seven, eight o'clock. And Libby, my wife, does an amazing job of trying to keep them away from me so I can get a little sleep. But it does. It, it, it you know, it 
piles up on you. I, I always, she always says to me, she's like, when the fall hits, it takes you a month, and I don't realize it, but a month to kind of like just get back in the routine of being in their lives, sleep patterns, those kind of things, because you're just so used yeah. to the daily routine of how baseball works, and that's. I'm never going to complain about it again. I miss it. I, I miss that part of it for sure. I really do. Matt Carpenter said he's never going to complain about a road trip again. What is one thing that was a part of your daily routine that you dreaded that now you miss that you'll never complain about again? Oh, man. Late late nights. Yeah. I mean, the late nights for sure. I mean, sometimes you get done with a game that took, let's say it was a nine-inning game and it took almost four hours. Okay. <laughs> That is a long baseball game with probably a lot of times a bad game associated with it, like airs, walks, hit by pitches. It's not sharp. It's just no flow. There, people say, well, there's not a flow to baseball. There is a flow to baseball. You can get into a flow. The, the, the pitcher really can dictate that. I'm never going to complain about that again. I, I don't care how long it takes. And I've always been one that when we're on the air, I, I learned this probably about midway through my career so far and hopefully it continues but that sometimes I would bring up time a game and I started thinking about that why am I bringing that up because if somebody's watching at home they don't care how long this is taking they're entertained by something that they're watching so shut up right Dan shut up don't complain about that and so I I became someone that stopped doing that and if people in the truck would say ah this is taking forever oh this is taking forever this guy I would say don't say it to me Honestly, don't say it to me. I do not want to be put in that mindset because there are people, and my job is to entertain, that are enjoying this. So don't don't be miserable on the air. Be happy that you're there. And I've always tried to be that way. I really do. I Even in the game in Arizona where I, I booked three different flights last year to mm-hmm. try to get home and try to make it home on an off day to see my kids. I was going to go leave early because the YouTube game was the next day. So it would give me two days off. Um, I had a flight at like 11, at 12.30, and I think there was one at 1.10, and I missed them all. Oh, and then man. I could, And there was something going on in Phoenix where I couldn't find a hotel room, so I stayed at a place that literally had roaches on the floor. Oh, my. Yeah, it was the only place I could get to find a bed that had, I just needed a couple hours sleep. I was going to take the first flight out and go. That's just part of the, the deal. That's part of how we travel. Um one of the craziest travel times I ever had was doing a game in Vancouver for the Blues. I was doing the Blues and the Cardinals. Am I boring you guys? No, no. this is great. This is so, great. Um, and it was one of the first baseball games I ever did. And so I had to go from Vancouver to Seattle. Seattle cross flight to Chicago, Chicago down to West Palm, and then do the game the next day. And I remember being on the, on the flight, and this is pre-9-11, and it was a puddle jumper. And this guy had a neck brace on. It was like out of airplane, the movie. And it's <laughs> the storms are and the plane is going every which way. And I don't get sick on flights. And this poor guy, we hit a bump and his head hit the ceiling of the puddle jumper on his neck. And I just remember him going ah! like that. And I thought, is it really worth it? Do I need to go to West Palm? I, I don't know. I mean, the poor guy just is got a broken neck or whatever, and he's dealing with a neck brace. His head hits the top of the ceiling, and then eventually I made it down there, and, and it was fine. And that's when Joe Buck told me um, on the air he wanted to talk about A.J. Burnett's nipple rings. And so at that point, I thought, well, I'm fired because he brought that up on the air. It was one of my first schemes. A.J. Burnett had them. Might still. It was factual. It yeah. was factual. So... He knew I was really nervous and really uptight, and they brought Joe in, and Joe was doing radio, and I'm working with Al, and and maybe Shannon came over too, but they were just trying to kind of, you know, 
here's Dan. He's going to be doing some baseball, whatever. So, you know, I'm doing the play-by-play, and Joe just says, hey, Dan, I got to, you know, something like this. He's like, I got a question for you. I said, yeah, Joe, what do you got? He's like, um, what do you think of those uh, nipple rings that A.J. <laughs> Burnett's wearing? I, and at that point in time, it wasn't, like, really kosher to talk about nipple rings or any mm-hmm. type of piercings. As we've seen now, Randy, with his tattoo. I mean, yeah. you can talk about tattoos well, now. You, you know, it's fair game. And I, I guess I turned white, even though I was red as a lobster, being down <laughs> in the sun in Florida and hadn't been down there. And so we got into nipple rings. I said, well, I think it's interesting. It's not my choice of what I'd probably do, but uh, how about you? And then he just went off, and we started talking, and I think Al was like, you know, whatever, and that was it. Then <laughs> we just kept doing the game. That's Danny Mac. We're going to cross it over to Scoops with Danny Mac next. Uh, on Stories. ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. One, two, three, four. Danny Mack hosted the announcement of the Cardinals Hall of Fame electees on Friday night. Were you surprised? I was. I thought Keith Hernandez would get in. Um, It's an omission that I think needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get it. I, I had a lot of people over the week, I'll talk about it on the show, that uh, want to see him get in. I am one of them. I have been polling for him. I think that all the first of all, it's almost like the Harold Baines thing when he got in. I don't like to see the negativity that surrounded guys that get in. They, they should be lauded for their efforts and for what they've done for the organization and they deserve it. Let's let's not overlook the fact that Tommy Hur and John well, Tudor deserve to be in. And for people that aren't aware of this, in the 80s, you had Ryan Sandberg. If Ryan Sandberg isn't there for that entire decade, Tom no Hur is clearly the best second baseman in the National League. And batted third on a, on a very good team, a great lineup. Eight home runs and 110 RBIs the one season. I mean, that's that's getting it done. And he did a lot of the little things, too. I, I You know, baseball's different now in how it's played and how that position is really looked at, too. And mm-hmm. certainly the shortstop position as offensive numbers have become more prevalent. But, you know, led the league in fielding percentage multiple times. But the other thing that he did with the speed of those great teams, how many times, Randy, and you know this, and Michelle, you, you were watching it too how many times did he give himself up you know pulling a ball Mm -hmm. to the right side to move a runner over or bunt or those kind of things and that's how the game was played with whitey ball and um that's why he should be in and Tudor's career in five years is not given enough credit that it deserves his winning percentage was over 700 now think about that 700 winning percentage in five years on really good teams and without Dwight Gooden doing what he did, mm-hmm. he wins a Cy Young. So, you know, I, I think that uh, they both deserve to be in. Keith Hernandez will get in. Yeah. And and it's it's probably, you know, I know he was very close two years ago, came down to the wire. My understanding, it came down to the wire on this one, too. They had over 113,000 votes, a record vote, as they expanded it for nine weeks. Well, everybody's on their phone or at sure. home, right? So people had stuff to do. Why not vote on the Hall of Fame? And I think anybody that's listened to me, whether it's on the games or on this show or doing the hits on the station, I, I've been pulling for Keith Hernandez. He deserves to be in. His war, I think, is in the top 10 all-time in Cardinals history mm-hmm, or top 15. So he he's going to get in. It'll be a great day. It's just, you know, let's give the credit to where credit's due for the two guys that got in. By the way, I looked it up because we talk, some people don't care about wins and losses for pitchers. And... Even when you just take the Cardinals' record when John Tudor started games, and that includes for bad teams in 1986 and 1990, 
That ninety team was rough. Eighty six and forty two. Yep. Was his was the Cardinals record in games he started in five and a half years? A six seventy winning percentage for the team in games he started. And the ERA, correct me if I'm wrong, two point five two. Yep. Yeah. Best ever. So best ever in Cardinals history. So if you don't want to go on wins and losses, ERA is still a, a pretty big measure of a pitcher. Two point five two. You'd take that any day of the week, wouldn't you? Yeah, and what he did against really good teams, what he did against the Mets especially, a really good lineup, was remarkable. I talked to to John. Um, I've gotten to know him fairly well over the years at uh, the Cardinals Fantasy Camp, and I said, what what happened when you had that unbelievable run in 1985? And uh, the, the story is well documented, but he... He kind of poo-pooed it to me this year, which was interesting when he talked about he had a guy that, that found a mechanical flaw watching the game of the week, um, and they were on, and, and he was doing something with a little hitch in his delivery, and his delivery was pretty simple, kind of rock back and go, um, and he said, you know, I know a lot of people point to that, he said, and, and I did change it, he said, but basically, he said, I wasn't that bad in the games I was losing. And he said that kind of gets forgotten. It was mm-hmm. one and seven start, and then he went 21 and one or whatever it was. Right. Um, he said, so there was a flaw, but really I wasn't, he goes, I, I felt pretty good all year. It wasn't just the, the eight games that people look at the record and the tough start. He said, I was okay. He said, it just kind of clicked. And it did click, and he was awesome. And we talk about Chris Carpenter or Bob Gibson and how competitive they were in his, his, in his own way. He was a really competitive baseball oh. player, too. little edge to him. Yeah. Kind of a mean dude. Didn't want to uh, mess with him. And he still kind of has that edge, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just a, you know, Eastern guy. And I get a kick out of it. I give him trouble all the time. And, and uh, I really like John Tudor. I, I've become, uh, like I said, I, I like to say acquaintances and mm-hmm. friends um, over the years because he's great at fantasy camp because he's got that edge down there, too, yeah. with some of the people that, you know, are paying big money to be there. And they're like, okay, you want the experience? Here it is. That's John <laughs> Tudor. You know, but he, he's great with the, the campers and he's a lot of fun to be around. And he'll be on the show tomorrow. Oh, great. And in 85 during the World Series, somebody, and he did not suffer fools well. He did not like to answer stupid questions. So somebody from the national media asks what he perceived as a stupid question. He said, what do you need to get one of these credentials? A driver's license? Did he really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, grabbed be... the, he, he just grabbed the credential. You know, he's uh, around the guy's neck. What do you need to get one of these? A driver's license? That's like Bryce Harper clown yeah. cres- uh, question, <laughs> yeah. bro. That would have gone viral if it was uh, <laughs> right. around today. Oh, but big that's time. great. Because, I mean, you're talking about one of the preeminent pitchers of his era yeah. in that time saying that kind of thing. That's a big deal. <laughs> it's a really big deal. I look so. at so many different players like that, and I wonder what their reputation would have been in the social media. Oh era oh man i think uh well like i wonder what brett hall would have been like in the social media oh, era that would have been epic. i'm frightened <laughs> uh there with you know the thing is too michelle is guys are smarter about what they do at least for the most part away from the field because they know every one of these people the average american is a reporter mm-hmm. because you're carrying mm-hmm. a phone and you can put it out anywhere you want so you're sitting at a bar a restaurant you're at a place that maybe you don't want to be at late at night and somebody sees you and they put that stuff out i just think guys and i think organizations too i know the cardinals have done this with the core program they bring in their top prospects 
and they go through everything, like what you're doing on the field, uh, what your nutrition is like, what are you doing on your social media pages. Here are the guys that want to tell you about their experiences. You know, like Isringhausen comes back, a guy that's done so much with the organization, but all the surgeries he had and what rehab is like, what being a young person with a lot of money is like, how careful you need to be. I mean, they really do their due diligence in trying to to prepare these guys in all organizations, in all walks of life of sports are doing that because you have to. Because if not, it's there. It's out there, and you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. Don't eat sand! Would they? That, that was uh, Herman Edwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I, I think um, I think it'd be fascinating, too, with some of the coaches in the social media era. Mm-hmm. You know? That would have been interesting, too. You know? I mean, like... Like, Whitey would take his guys out fishing in the morning and, you know, have a couple sandwiches and a couple beers and then tell yeah. them to go take a nap and come to the ballpark. You know, oh, and they wow. talk about the game. Uh-huh. You know, could you imagine that happening now? No. 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 Whitey said when Bruce Suter left, he said, if they would have just let me take Bruce fishing, I could have negotiated the deal during a, a morning of fishing. Yes. And we could have kept Bruce Suter with the Cardinals. I mean, that's the kind of relationship he had with his players. And now times have changed, clearly. Uh, coaches and managers are getting to the ballpark literally at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. It's crazy in my mind. I think it's way too much, but that's how they do it. And we know that football coaches sleep in their offices at mm-hmm. night, but that's the relationship that these guys had with their players. And it's not to say they, 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 they're they not tight with their players. It's just a different way of doing it. And, really Tory, and by the way, Tory historically as a manager, really underrated here because the teams, what he got out of those teams was outstanding but he always said and it was more important in new york than here but he said you'll never read something in the paper before i tell it to you mm-hmm. and that that's a really important thing that if if there was something involving an a-rod or a jeter or a rivera or whatever you'll never hear about you'll never read about it in the paper before you hear it from me well i think that's what makes mike Schilt really good with this team is they have built a culture inside that clubhouse that he is He's there to, quote-unquote, protect them in many ways, whether it be on the field or in the media. And there's there's more media now than there's ever been. Like, when I first started doing games, it was myself, Rick Hummel, Mike Shannon, you know, my partner, uh, Joe Buck, whatever, who was traveling with the team. That was it. Mm-hmm. You know, our director, Tom Mee, and... You know, we work for the club in a way to try to make sure we present the right story to the fans. But, you know, we weren't out digging for stories and trying to dig up the muck. We we didn't care about that kind of stuff, you know, and we'd see guys at different places and that's fine. Live your life. Yeah, that's part of, I think, also what's going on now. We don't let these guys live their lives and that's why they're protected as much as they are. And that's an that's an unfortunate part of the bad side of of pro athletics and, and also everybody having a phone. They can't live their life. We're looking forward to scoops with Danny Mac here. I'm looking forward to it too. We got, uh, I think it's going to be interesting. David Kaplan is going to come on from ESPN 1000 in Chicago. I used to do a lot of basketball with David. Actually, did a game with him uh, last winter, but want to get into the last dance. Also, get into the Sammy Sosa perspective of the 30 for 30 and if the Cubs would be selling off a lot of their parts when baseball comes back. Not if, when. When. Should be interesting. Stay positive. Win. Great job by our producer today, Tommy Freeze Pops Carroll. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. We'll talk tomorrow. Colin Surrey doing a great job uh, on the board, and he will be with the Danny Mac coming up here in the 10 o'clock hour. Michelle, always great to be with you. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we, yeah, essentially, we've got a three day week because we kind of take Fridays off. So awesome. it's, it's, a, it's a good thing.
Colin was at the Ozarks this weekend, so I want to dive into what Partying happened. Yeah, big time. Yeah, going yeah. off. What a great time that was. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Be quiet. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And for all of us, until tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.